This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center Man Cave inside the Melton Law Studio, inside the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, in God's country. And I'm just getting all my paperwork arranged here because I want to bring you up to date uh, on what's been going on, of course, uh, that you probably, many of you may already have seen now finally addressed in other news outlets and media. It's a big story. It's a growing story, and it's not even begun to be over. So I'll bring you up to date on where we are with it. And we're talking about basically the supervisor elections interactions with voters or would-be voters and the lack of accountability for that by their own admission. It's a strange set of uh, disclosures that are coming out right now about the way uh, elections are conducted. And I'm only going to focus on Alachua County because we know a lot about Alachua County. I'm not going to spin off out of my lane and talk about other areas about which I don't have any experience and therefore, I challenge somebody to rebut what I'm about to say uh, from some other area or, or somebody who hasn't examined the documents as we have, such as the local political hacks, one of whom comes to mind is Dan Smith, um, who evidently has an opinion and hasn't seen the actual material that we have, but nevertheless has an opinion and politicizes the whole thing. So uh, people like that are... Um, all over the place, and they're ready to give you an earful, and generally they are doing what my grandmother used to tell me, talking to hear their head rattle. Uh, what I want to talk about is what we have experience with as a community, and what the Ward Scott Files has experience with through its research team, and principally in many cases, of course, our data investigator. Uh, the first news that's kind of interesting, of course, which we knew all along would be the case, uh, it was a futile attempt, and whatever lawyer or liar led her down the road to believe it would be anything else really ought to have his head examined. And that's the ultimate final rejection of Dion McGraw's attempt to get her seat back. And, we, you know, we, anybody with common sense knew um, that that was uh, going to be the conclusion. Everybody except her, apparently, uh, and some of the NAACP people and some of the loud, shrill voices that really operate out of emotion, don't operate out of uh, deliberation and uh, rationality, reasoning, if you will. So um, it was a foregone conclusion. If she spent money, money, much money, of course, she apparently has quite a bit. Um, if she spent much money on her liar, well, it was, uh, she might as well have gone out and bought everybody coffee because uh, there wasn't going to be any other outcome that could be possibly so, except the one it reached. And she should know that the governor's office is not going to act uh, in a knee-jerk fashion, it's going to have its um, ducks in a row, as we say, and know what it's doing before it uh, goes ahead with the constitutional authority that they have to do what they needed to do in her case. However, in coming out in these uh, cases are some some interesting disclosures, and I want to compare that to the in uh, to the inmate sign-up thing here for you, because the commonality between the two is Kim Barton. Now, Russell claims that Kim Barton never told her that she wasn't in the proper district and allowed her, uh, McGraw, on her own word, to go ahead and sign up and register for, uh, to be uh, a, a candidate. Now, uh, let's, let's be sure we understand some, some essential differences. Uh, McGraw is coming to Barton of her own volition and she is a candidate. She is not a voter. She is a candidate. Now, I have signed these documents no fewer than three times. I've, 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 I've done the whole thing, the financial disclosures and everything, signed the documents. And uh, believe me, researched before I ever went there. 
to find out what I needed to know. And if I didn't know, then I tried to find people responsible who should know what, what the case was. Um, anybody who's going to run for public office who doesn't do that, in my humble opinion, doesn't have any business running for public office. In other words, if you're going to go act and you don't know the legitimate basis by which your actions are justified, why are you acting? And yet this is so characteristic of so many politicians. They uh, rag their tongues, run their mouths, and they're just talking about their own kind of opinion. They haven't done any real sober insight looking into the issue, and therefore they just sound off and they vote individually out of their own set of values, and they, they think they speak for everybody. That's basically the case all over these uh, the Gainesville City Commission and the Alachua County Commission. Um, they're not really legitimate uh, scientists, if you will, of the politics that they uh, set policy for. Uh, it's always been a joke in my mind that there's such a thing as a political scientist. Well, there's no such thing as a political scientist who is a public commissioner that I can see around here. Uh, Cornell is not a political scientist. God help us, Alfred's not. Um, any, the, you know, certainly the undertaker's not. So they're not political scientists. And even when you take a look at the political scientist, uh, that is jaded also with a bias, which is the case, I think. Is, uh, 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 one, could, one could ask if that's the case with a guy like Smith or a guy like Joe Little or any of the other professors at the law school who are all the same party, essentially, and therefore instruct the young and the young come out with certain attitudes and you trace them back and you find out essentially those who taught them were all from the same cloth, if you will. So uh, the interesting thing here to remember, uh, in case you're going to buy into uh, McGraw's uh, uh, complaint that uh, Barton never told her she couldn't do it. Well, Barton, of course, is and the title of today's show is See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Barton's going to say, well, it's not my position to tell you. Now, that is very, very different from going to the jail as an outreach director and seeking to sign up. You go to them uh, as a professional voter, uh, knowledgeable person, agency, even a sworn charter officer of the, uh, of the, of, of the state of Florida and the Lancho County. And you, you, you go to them, and then the question becomes, well, if you go to them, what is your obligation to be sure they know what they're talking about, particularly when they're already in the jug as convicted felons on, on, and, 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 uh, or else waiting to be and they end up being? It's, it's an entirely different situation. So it's, it's interesting that the centerpiece of all this is Barton, because McGraw claims Barton should have told her and Barton claims McGraw should have known. Now, as I say, to repeat, you go to the jail and the inmates say, well, they tried their best to tell us, and this testimony is coming from more than one, they did their best to get us to sign up. We didn't know what we were. They said it was okay, just sign up. And Barton claims, well, that's not the way we do it. And yet, let me just tell you one thing to you that I, I think you'll know if you ever need one or don't need one. If you are innocent and you uh, go to a liar and you tell them what you should do, um, you, know, you go to the lawyer and you say, here is what the story is, my story. I will tell you my story. This is what happened. Do I need you? And a good attorney will tell you the following. If what you're telling me is the truth, you don't need me. Okay. Now, if what you tell your attorney is going to get you in trouble, then your attorney will tell you, you better hire me. So that's just the rules of the game. Okay. Those are the rules of the games. The, uh, the, uh, I'm just getting, a, by the way, a, a note flashing across here from the data investigator, which I'll look at in a moment. 
So that's something to keep in mind, okay? Why did T.J. Pichet immediately, as soon as FDLE came into the supervisor of, of elections office, do two or three remarkable things? One, quit his job when he'd just gotten a raise. Two, go to a lawyer who evidently, whatever he told the lawyer, and one of the things you never do is you never lie to your lawyer. You tell your lawyer the truth, and then your lawyer covers for you and finds a way to spin it and deflect it and try to make it convincing to a jury. But if you don't tell your lawyer the truth, then he can't help you or she can't help you or it, whatever they call it, the sexes now. So evidently, following the general rules of lawyer-client relationships, Whatever it was that T.J. Pichet told his lawyer, Kalowski, uh, was damaging enough that apparently that, that the evidence is that the result of that conversation was T.J. Pichet taking the Fifth Amendment. Now, this Fifth Amendment, you know, you look back on public use of that and tell me what type of people use it what types of situations they are in. Uh, buddy, it is really back against the wall if you take a look at the historical application of that amendment, which he immediately apparently was advised or did claim and then hires the lawyer, or as we say, lawyers up and sits there waiting for the ticking time bomb. That is something... No explanation I have seen so far by the pundits like Smith and some of the others and the Democrat chair, whoever the heck he is, uh, can explain away. I mean, that, that, those are the facts of the case. The facts are Pichet quit or left or no longer was at the state attorney's or the supervisor elections office right after the, the FDLE came in. The facts are he took the fifth and the facts are he hired a lawyer who's now doing all the talking for him. And, you know, Lady Macbeth, uh, the lady doth protest too much. All this protesting that the lawyer is doing on uh, Pichet's behalf and the Democrat head of the parties and all that and the biased political scientists are doing are protesting too much. Now, what's that great line about? The, the, the truth, when one is telling the truth, the answer is succinct. This is just human nature. Did you put the dog out last night to take a wee-wee? Yes. Uh, you know that, or if you're trying to get out of whether you did put the dog out or you didn't put the dog out, you, well, you know, I thought, I, I, yeah, and you go into this long-winded, thing because you are concerned that if you have to say, no, I didn't, then you have to pay the consequences. In this case, maybe uh, clean up the dog's wee-wee on your nice new rug. And, and, and that you don't want to have to do. And you're looking for an escape route from a straight answer to that question anywhere you can find it. And so you get into a long-winded cover-up of your own behavior or you get your liar to do it for you. And the, the, the simple matter, the facts of the matter are, if you're telling the truth, it's going to be a quick, short answer because you know what the truth is. It's when you are trying to be evasive, and one of the biggest ways to be evasive without having to take the fifth is just have memory loss. You just don't remember. Now, that's not easy for young people to do. It's easier for older people to do. Because they can really claim that they can't remember, and many of the times that's true. But for a younger character to claim, and TJ's relatively young gentleman, uh, you know, for to, you know, to claim, oh, I don't remember whether I went to the jug or not, that ain't going to fly. Because there are logs that indicate that you went to the jug. Now, how many people will follow you around in the jug is evident in the police uh, or in the jailhouse or in the FDLE report and several can follow you around, and therefore you have several different points of view 
about his behavior. And we have this all the time with witnesses. We have it all the time. The car ran the red light. Did it run? Was the light red when the car went through the intersection? Witness A says, oh, it was red long before the car went through the intersection. Witness B says, well, no, it was just turning red. The yellow was still flashing. Well, so when does it become red in testimony? Well, when you get a, 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 a majority of testimony, finally, you interview 10 people and nine of them say, well, the thing was red, so therefore the person who thought it was yellow is excluded. If you go take a look at the testimony of the inmates themselves, they have a completely different experience than those who thought they saw the uh, Pichet interact with the inmates, but make no uh, specific quote of anything that they heard in the FDLE report, which always belies the truth. You see, if you want to cover up or if you want to be vague, then you are abstract. If you want to be clear, you are specific. And that's very easy to determine uh, exactly how many uh, bullets were in the chamber. Well, there is evidence that there were five. And, and, and you know, that sort of thing becomes countable, observable. Uh, you can measure it. You can even scientifically validate it. So might be that the guy standing next to you thought you had four. You know, that necess doesn't necessarily make it so. But when you have a predominance of people who are the victims of this uh, behavior by Pichet, apparently, I'm going to keep it apparently and all this stuff because I'm a big believer in due process. Well, then you have to take that into account. And as, as probably true, certainly true enough, would you put that in circumstantial comparison to his TJ taking the fifth and lawyering up? Do you think he might have known what these eventually, what, uh, what, what these inmates would actually say? Do you think he might have known that? And do you think that might have had some impact on why he took the fifth and hired a lawyer? Do you think? That leads to that question. So in the case of the FDLE investigation, it's pretty clear. We're posting this out on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. You can go look at the entire FDLE report. We have posted it. But I want you, I want to read, and you've heard this before. If you've been paying attention to this, some of the news outlets have it very, very much correctly. And some of them have, uh, of course, the Gainesville Sunset has done the worst job. But I have to say that the reporter, the young lady on Channel 20, really had, in terms of TV media, the best that I saw. Because here is the conclusion. I'll read it to you. You can see it yourself on Ward's Hunt Bulletin Board. Uh, the conclusion that the FDLE came to, there are clear violations of Florida state statutes by the inmates who completed registration forms with affirming they were not convicted felons when in fact they were, and subsequently cast a ballot in the Florida elections. Now, here's the problem with this. They voted, and you can't undo the vote. This is at the crux of what is wrong. This is what must stop. You know, I've been talking about this for a long time before this case ever came up. They don't check until after the vote, if they check at all. And then it's not up. They don't initiate the inquiry. A citizen has to initiate the inquiry. Barton's not going to go initiate the inquiry. He's not going to do it. And you ask yourself, well, why are you getting six figures a year if you're not in charge of the credibility of the voter rolls? Oh, it's not, I don't, you know, and you get a thousand excuses. Well, that's, the conclusion goes on to say by the FDLE, while it is ultimately incumbent, ultimately incumbent upon the registrant to know their own personal circumstances, that's a pronoun reference error, by the way, the incumbent is singular, 
the uh, uh, possessive pronoun there is plural. You see this all the time. Um, this is this is really it should have said while it's ultimately incumbent upon the registrant. In this case, they're all he's to know his own. No, they don't do that because they're afraid of being politically incorrect, even the FBLE. So uh, while it is ultimately incumbent upon the registrant to know their own personal circumstances before they affirm such statements, the overall conclusion, here we go, from multiple inmate interviews was they were, here we go, was they were either told or believed they were able to legally register and or vote. Now here's the problem. And the FDLE recognizes it. It was the director of outreach, T.J. Pichet's role to educate the citizenry about the voting laws and regulations, to arm them with the best knowledge available to determine whether or not they're eligible to register and or, and or vote. There you go. That is the crux of the matter. This is why it's different from Dion McGraw. Dion McGraw came to the supervisor and said, hey, I'm okay. Here, the supervisor went to the inmates in a jail and said, hey, you're okay. Go ahead and sign up. Nine days after the email from Barton told her staff not to do such. And if we can dig up that email, I think we will. I think the data processor has it, uh, the data investigator. Uh, we'll put it out on, we'll put it out to our war talk, bulletin boards, public information. So here we go. The, the uh, investigation revealed, this is the investigation by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And by his own admission, the education component of his jail visits was lacking in both quality and longevity. Are you with him? Are you with us? See no evil, hear no evil, right? Oh, geez, I don't know. And you get this long-winded explanation from the Dan Smiths or the presidents or the chairs of the Democrat Party, or uh, you get the Fifth Amendment. Now, the head of the Republican Party, Ed Braddy here locally, probably summed it up the best when he said, all we are looking for, we don't want an illegal vote to cancel a legal vote. And that is exactly what is going on. And if you want to listen to this conclusion, you can ask yourself, was the outreach director whose boss had also, by the way, I'm going to get that to that in a moment, been an outreach director for 10 years. You may, I've forgotten this. Kim Barton had been in the registrar's office under the previous uh, people. Uh, uh, for 10 years. She knows her way around the hall. She knows what's happening. Or she should know. When you think after 10 years of stalking the halls, you would know. So the investigation revealed, and by his own admission, the education component of his jail visits was lacking in both quality and longevity. The next, next sentence, the mass register, the mass this is mass. And this is just tip of the iceberg, by the way. These 10 hapless souls are just the tip of the iceberg. There are many, many, trust me, there are many, many more. The mass registering of inmates to vote without any inquiry into the person's prior criminal history, proof of identity. There is the crux. There's the crux. You don't, they don't even know if you, you are who you say you are. We don't even ask for any idea. We don't ask for, what are you talking about here? Proof of identity, that's a big one. Satisfaction of prior legal financial obligations, restoration of voting rights, the charges they're being held on, their knowledge level and understanding of the state's voting system and require. Don't you think this has been going on? By ballot harvesting, I know, I, I'm going to tell you a couple of people right now, I'm not going to mention on the air, that I know do this. They go out and sign up people to vote and don't have a clue 
about the person's eligibility to vote and nobody checks it. And then they go on and vote. And if they're illegal, they cancel illegal. Now, let me tell you where this fits into the mass strategy by the Biden administration. If why as a Democrat would you be against proof of identity, satisfaction of the, all this thing about who you are and your past and what kind of person you are? Why would you be against that when you can let all these immigrants into this country without checking who they are and guess what they're going to do? A good number of them, we know. They're going to go vote. And there won't even be anybody asking them if they're eligible to vote. And they will swell and distort and corrupt the integrity of the system. And you can ask yourself if these lax immigration rules aren't a, a plan to do that. So... Here it is in the Florida Department of Law Enforcement's conclusion. So uh, it goes on to say that the Alachua uh, uh, County Supervisor Elections Office showed a haphazard, I love that name, uh, that word, haphazard registration of inmates, and here we go, could compromise the integrity of the Florida voter registration system. One more paragraph. By Supervisor Kim Barton's own admission, she had intimate knowledge of the expected job responsibilities of the director of outreach. And get this, this is what I did not know, especially since she held the position for approximately 10 years before being elected to supervisor. Barton admitted to meeting with TJ before each outreach event and advising him on his goals and how to conduct those events. Barton was aware of Pichet's methodology, but failed to find fault in his conduct nor advise him to make any adjustments. Man. And then you got the state attorney's office led by the likes of Brian Kramer and chief investigator. And I don't even want to go into that dude on this show, but I will sometime. Derry Lloyd saying, oh, well, speak no evil, hear no evil. Nothing amiss here. How can your state attorney's office? I'm going to ask the question. Look at the same language I'm looking at and reach a conclusion that there is no evil here. When the language I just read to you says nobody held anybody accountable, do you have as a citizen a reasonable expectation or did you just have what so many of us have, all these assumptions that we walk around with that are uninvestigated assumptions? We just assume that when we go to the store, there'll be bread on the, uh, uh, on the rack for us to choose from. And we can choose whole grain or we can choose white or we can choose this or that. We just assume it will always be there. We don't question it. It's just a basic assumption. We just assume that when we flip the light switch, the lights will come on. We just take it for granted. Now, you wouldn't, you realize, do you not, that none of you, not a single one of you in the press, in the public, in the state of Florida, in the governor's office, would know any of this if the data investigator and the Wartz God files had worked feverishly and continually to investigate the story and make it public. Do you, do you realize that? Do you realize that? You or anybody else, from the sheriff to the state attorney to the FDLE to the governor, would have a clue 
that this was going on. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I, mean, I, don't, I just don't know where to stop and start and finish and go off the road and catch my breath. And we're operating with no budget. We have no staff. We got our buddies over in production. We are not Fox News. We, I don't want to get into that. I appreciate all you donors. I appreciate the sponsors who come out and help us. We could have if a lot. If we had a lot more, people ask me about programs to invest. We don't have the money to do that. We, there's a whole lot of things we could do. But be that as it may, with what we got, do you realize, you sit and think about this as we go on a break. You sit and think about this. You wouldn't have a clue. And you sit and think about the curious response that we get out of the public officials whose job it is to know and whose job it is to hold people responsible for not knowing. And you go look at their salaries. You go look at their staffs. You go look at their budgets. It's your, it's your, it's your culture, okay? The Words God Files can't change anybody. It can only inform people, or as I say, teach or have a class that gives you the opportunity to learn. That's the way I approach it. I'm a teacher, you're the students. It's your, the ball's in your court. Let's take a break now on the Word Scott Files. We'll be right back in a moment. Stay tuned. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page, or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files, and remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Very much for um, indulging with me in my little um, presentation here about what we are finding out about uh, the integrity of the voting system. Notice I have not used the beep word. Uh, I don't think integrity is a word so far that triggers the little algorithms. You understand, of course, that people have asked me or have come to the realization that this whole um, development here locally leads one to, of course, ask big questions about the national situation. And if you get, if you take this as an example of the difficulty in honestly looking into the national situation, uh, and you can take a look at the difficulty we've had and the doors that have been closed here and, and not opened and, and, and peeked out of, uh, and you can you can extrapolate from that and figure out why 
uh, you can't you can't get a, a different narrative out of the nation. It, it's it's simply that um, I guess um, I'm trying to find a word for it. It, it. You know, it's not naivete. It's not and maybe some of you all can help out with this, but um, yeah, I don't know. What, you know, what is this about people that they just simply? I guess it's power. It's just raw naked power. Um, if you go back and trace the beginning of this, you know, Zuckerbucks give $700,000 to this local supervisor elections out of the blue. Uh, my golly, she must have thought she died and went to heaven. And all, what did I do to deserve all that money? And then we go back to look and we find out it's basically dumped into blue areas. It's basically dumped in specific areas of the country. And basically what it did is it helped proliferate what? Ballots. Now, at the time the ballots were de delivered to the hand of the person who filled them out, what kind of accountability followed that distribution of the ballots? Well, it seems to me it's pretty clear, little or none. So the ballots get cast and there's an outcome. Try, try, try overturning the outcome. It ain't gonna happen. It ain't gonna happen. It's like an auto wreck. Once the character ran the red light and hit the car and unfortunately killed the hapless person who had a right to be in the intersection, you ain't gonna bring that person back to life that that driver who ran the red light killed. And inevitably the guy who ran the red light steps out unharmed. It, it, it's, it's amazing. It, it's, it's truly amazing. And as I say, uh, the jet engines are just warming themselves up because this is just really low-hanging fruit, uh, easy to, 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 to demonstrate. This is so easy to demonstrate that it's almost incontrovertible. I mean, it's, it's almost undeniable. And yet you see the great links to avoid responsibility. Imagine on a larger scale what you've got. Imagine what's going on there. And imagine somebody behind all this, back to the old James Bond movies where Dr. No Love or whatever the heck was behind the curtain, petting the white cat, is running the world. Let all those people pour across the border. Don't ask who they are. And when they get ready to vote, don't ask anything about them. See no evil, hear no evil. And then once they cast that vote, don't you dare question the authenticity of that vote, it's already cast, be that as it may, hallelujah, it's all over but the shouting. And so then you have a guy like the Sadhus who says, we got to tighten this up, and you get branded the race card. It is so convenient to sling out there. You know, isn't it wonderful to have the race card that you can just sling out there and uh, go with Anytime you need to use it, it is absolutely um, so convenient. And then try being somebody who is a, uh, I don't like to color code people, but they color code themselves. Try being a black who doesn't agree with that. And I want to tell you just a little bit about somebody that I, is now 91 years old. He's one of the important voices in this country and is Thomas Sowell. And he has argued for the longest time. And this plays right into what we're talking about. You know that eight out of 10 of these people who are being charged are black. Okay. Eight out of 10 of them are black. So I'm trying to put myself in the head of an outreach director who goes into a, and I'm going to pretend, let's just take T.J. Pichet out of it. And let's put Ward Scott in it. And let's pretend that Ward Scott is a screaming liberal, that he's a member of the Democrat Party, uh, that he's put all kinds of Facebook posts up, which are anti-Trump and don't get taken down because they're anti-Trump. Um, he is, belongs to every wingnut organization from climate change to uh, LGBTQW, all those things. And he also happens to go into the jug, and he encounters all these black guys, and he starts, I start licking my chops. I say, oh my golly, 
If I can sign them up, I know how they're going to vote. Okay. I mean, I'm just pretending I'm the guy now. I'm not saying it. Appreciate any. I'm the person now. This is, you know, I'm putting myself in the profile of a real radical left guy who belongs to all these organizations from climate change to save the creek. I don't know everything you, you see goes to Disney 50 times a year, whatever. And I go in there and I see all these black guys. And I said, just come over here and sign this form and you're home free. Now, in my mind, I might not say it to them, um, but I know in my heart of hearts that they got to be, I can assume safely, can I not, that they're going to vote Democrat. And then I can tell you that I'm the outreach director and a Republican governor and a Republican, nasty Republican legislature that hates blacks, that's racist as can be, that really believes in voter suppression, comes along and says, listen, the Florida legislature said you got to be responsible for your behavior. Well, that's, that's, that's a violation of my rights. You know, I, I, I just feel that in my bones, you know. So I go in there and do what I feel I feel is right. Not what the law says, but what I feel is right. And I sign it. And I, listen, I am absolutely sure that nobody, nobody will ever catch me. Nobody. And nobody would have ever caught me. Nobody. If it had not been for a little old committed to justice data investigator. Where in the world, I say to myself as the outreach director, remember, I'm not talking about Bichet, I'm talking about me. If I were to put on my liberal hat and go in there and do this role, and I say to myself, where in the world did that come from? I mean, I've got the blessing of my supervisor, even though there's a memo go out, there's really nobody ever checking on me. There's a memo set up. That memo just satisfied Tallahassee. I know that. I know that. It just, nobody's going to check on me. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. What I know is right in my bones. And I do it. And I absolutely am positive. And I know one thing, if they vote, that'll never be changed. Case closed. That ain't going to happen. I mean, I'm trying to imagine if I were a super liberal and I believe that blacks face all these problems, that they're suppressed, that there's voter injustice all over the place. I personally believe it even though I work for the charter officer and nobody checks on me, then I pretty much do what I want to do. Because I know that it's in the walls of this culture. It's in the streets of this culture. It's in the libraries of this culture. It's everywhere. It's no mystery why these political tactics work. It, get, it wins votes. And yet, Thomas Sowell is on a much larger scale, if you will, a data investigator, because he is not at all clear that justifying your actions on the basis of white racism, which is what DeSantis's rule has been called. DeSantis is anti-black, the Florida legislature is anti-black, the Florida legislature is anti-LGBTQWXYZ, all this kind of stuff, uh, which is all uh, an absolute bedrock of the Democrats, okay? That is not. So the antithetical to the Florida legislature, And yet, Thomas Sowell, 91 years old, 
argues that blaming the blacks' problems on white racism is detrimental to the blacks. It's detrimental. It hurts rather than helps. If you're going to isolate people by color, that's what we're doing here. I'm not doing it. The public's doing it. There's white and then there's blacks. We color code. And what Seoul is taking issue with, and I see, if I go in, I'm, I'm, once again, leave Pichet out of it. I'm the guy who's the outreach director. I go in and sign these guys up. Um, I go in and sign them up because I feel it's my business. It's my business to write this classic wrong, to make my contribution to writing this classic wrong that the voting registration system and the voting process is racist, okay? And the strangest thing about this situation is that the black guys who signed up under the advice of me, the outreach director, are the ones now who have to lawyer up. They're the ones who are being accused of a violation of the law, not me who told them they could do it. You wonder how a criminal, and listen, I've known a lot of criminals because I just have. I mean, I, I, for one thing, Malcolm Bradley, Don Pierce, these great prison writers were good friends of mine. And they taught me a lot about something called the criminal mind. The criminal mind is different, they always say, they always taught me this from the regular mind. The criminal mind. Let me give you an example. When I was teaching at Santa Fe College, way back when, when I first started, and we had one of our campuses downtown where the 720 building is, across from Leonardo's, where it used to be. That was the old Buholtz campus. And I was teaching there, and I was teaching Malcolm Bradley on the yard, I was teaching Don Pierce, Cool Hand Luke. I was teaching Elridge Cleaver, Soul on Ice, a bunch of these things because he was a bright guy and I wanted everybody to have a point of view that was maybe a little bit out of the norm. And they were very good writers. I even brought Braley and Pierce to the library and and, and, and packed library at the, at the school. And the kids came up around the desk when they got through talking and asked them where they got their education. And Malcolm Braley looked up at him and said, well, we had a library in San Quentin. I'll never forget that. He just looked at the kid and said, well, we had a, we had a library in San Quentin. Malcolm Braley did 17 years in San Quentin. He wrote a fantastic biography called False Starts, one of the best I've ever read. Wonderful man. And here, he, here, here we are. Um, and so I get a call one day from the dean, he says, listen, we've got a 19-year-old student who is in the federal penitentiary in Atlanta, but they feel that he's too young and he's too smart and he's too talented a kid to be in prison for that long a period of time in that hard a place. And they've asked us if we will consider bringing him here on a kind of a furlough to go to college. And the person we think would be the perfect teacher for him is you. Would you take him? I know his name to this day, and I'm not going to say it. He was 19 years old. He uh, came to me. Of course, he was being watched all the time. He was on parole. Um, the crime that he did was uh, the reason he did federal time is he would he was a uh, uh, he would load his car up with marijuana, and he you know and he was a delivery guy. Basically, he was a pizza delivery guy only it was marijuana and he loaded up and he said the problem he made is often he would sample that which he was carrying and he uh came to a state line uh, i think he was coming from florida to, across into georgia which is why he got him into the land of federal pen and he was pulled over and of course he was sitting so stoned that he couldn't really protest and because he carried the marijuana across the state line, 
he had violated a federal statute. So he was in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. So when he came to my class, he was a great student. He soaked up everything I gave him to read. He was a great, he was a very good writer. And he was also another guy I introduced him to, it was around named John Ricardo. And John Ricardo did a movie that won an, uh, a prize in conjunction with Channel 4 out of Jacksonville. It was called Yesterday's Man. And John Ricardo had been a robber, a a a a that was what he was in for robbery in Rayford. And he did this fantastic documentary on what it was like to be inside Rayford. On the basis of that, they paroled him. And they sent him down here to be around me. And he said, he's a great artist and he needs to be an influence of somebody who will teach him. And so I had him. I also had another guy I'll tell you about in a little bit. Maybe. I might run out of time. But anyway, this young man came to me. And he was in the class. And everybody, all the other students thought he was just one of them. And one day, the students realized that he was a federal inmate. And that he was in the room with them. And they began to inquire about him. And was he dangerous? What did he carry guns? All this, none of what he did. And um, he sort of grinned at me and he grinned at them. And he said, a line I will never forget. Now, mind you now, this young man has a criminal mind. I mean, there's no question about it. He looks at experience much differently than the way regular people do. And so to respond to the students who were inquiring about him, he said very matter-of-factly and calmly to them, I'll never forget it. He said, listen, he said, uh, and this is only a 19-year-old kid. He says, you don't have to worry about me. He said, I'm one little criminal. They know where I am all the time. If they want to find me and pick me up, they know where to get me. What you got to worry about is criminals when they get in a crowd. And the students looked at him and said, well, what do you mean? And he said, you take Congress. There wasn't another kid in that classroom, in that freshman class. We even knew what the heck Congress was, really. This kid, age 19, not only knew what the United States Congress was, but he had been watching their behavior. And said, I guess to himself, what the hell? If there ain't no laws to drag them in, why the heck should I worry about a law to drag me in? And set off down his life's journey. I was never able to change that. That was hardwired into him. We were student and teacher. He was a great student. He listened to me. He looked up to me. I tried to set him straight on, listen, Don Pierce wrote his way out of prison. Malcolm Braley wrote his way out of prison. I even put him over on the great Russian writers. Crime and punishment. Never could really undo the hard wiring in his head that, hey, do you think these straight people are straight? Do you think these straight people are honest? And I got to tell you, my friends, when I look at this jail situation and I try to look at it from the point of view of one of those inmates, and I'll go ahead and say, yeah, one of the black inmates. I mean, I got no problem with that. I mean, I got so many black friends, it's unbelievable. And I can imagine being there as a black inmate, looking at this white guy, tell me it's okay. And then in the end, the white guy getting by and me, the black guy, having a lawyer up. I can only suppose that it's only going to hardwire my head even harder. You think these straight people are honest? You think these straight people take responsibility for their behavior? They just ain't been caught. Because guess what? They ain't a crowd.
And they're covering for each other. They got your back and you got their back. You got a state attorney. You got a supervisor. See no evil, hear no evil. So if I were the guy sitting there in the jug, and I have a record as long as my arm already, I guess I ain't going to change my ways. Because now they really are giving me a felony for something I really didn't do, except what I was told to do or told I could do. These assumptions that regular people have are just that. They're just assumptions. And, you know, you ought to walk in somebody else's shoes once in a while and see how it looks. Thomas Sowell has been saying this for a long time. You got to question your assumptions. You think... One is monolithically bad and one is monolithically good. That ain't going to work, brother. It don't work that way. And he points out that he and Jason Riley are writing this together. It's an Empiris publication. When the ballot measure was put on to voters in Minneapolis on this George Floyd killing that would have defunded the police, not only was it defeated, it was most strongly opposed by black residents in high crime areas. Did you ever know that? Did you ever hear that? In a Gallup poll released in 2020, 81% of blacks nationwide said they wanted police present in their neighborhood to remain the same or to increase. Well, who's assuming the opposite? The whites. Who don't live there? Who are part of the crowd? Who's got each other's back? Huh? Maybe? I got to say that this lends, this leads into maybe, it makes me think, in a 1993 Gallup poll, 82% of black respondents said the criminal justice system doesn't treat criminals harshly enough. 75% of blacks wanted more cops on the street, and 68% said we ought to build more prisons so the longer sentences can be given. Now, so I'm a black guy sitting in Rayford, in walks the FDLE. And they say, we've got one more charge to give you, as if what we've given you is not enough. Uh, you lied on your registration form, and it's your fault. Well, how did I get my hands on the registration form in the first place? Did somebody bring it to me? It's not their fault. I guess I just am a criminal. And I will be a criminal. I always will be a criminal. So one of the things I think is one of the unintended consequences of this, it is as furthermore hardened, I would speculate, I don't know, the criminal attitude of the criminals who now are being further, further criminalized. It's a weird situation. I don't understand, you know, how people can exonerate some and blame others. And maybe, you know, this is a federal crime as well, you know. There was a federal candidate on the ballot. And it might be. I don't know. I don't know. It might be that the feds are still out there. It might be that DeSantis's election committee, which he hasn't signed the bill yet, by the way, so I understand it. It might be it will be looked into by them. I have no idea. 
But I find it very interesting, or as Fortinbras says in Hamlet, more than passing strange. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.